evening, and welcome to the NFL Draft. This, this is 710 ESPN Seattle's presentation of the NFL Draft. Watch the 710 ESPN Seattle Draft Tracker on our video stream at 710sports.com. Come on, man! Ship change. Hi, everybody. It's the loud person, Paul Gallant. I am checking in. To my right is the quarterback, Jake Heaps. From Jake and Stacy to my left is Seahawks insider Stacy Rost from Jake and Stacy. I thought you were going to assign me an athletic prowess category. Do you want me to assign you an athletic yeah, prowess category? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the runner-up in that spelling bee way you back. You can in just the day. continue with your introduction, Paul. Just All go right. ahead. What's coming up next? I was going to say good luck. <laughs> Our coverage of the 2021 NFL I still Draft remember you, Jeff Benson, is underway, and we are waiting for the Seattle Seahawks to make a pick. At pick number 217 right now, the Carolina Panthers are on the clock at 193. I'd try to do some mental gymnastics and the math as far as how many picks there are between there. Eh, eh, like 23, 24 or so. So I got to weigh in on some of the picks last night. Jake Heaps got to weigh in on some of the picks last night. So I feel like Stacey Rost, who has yet to weigh in My on turn? either of the two Seahawks picks yet, out of Western Michigan, Dwayne Eskridge, their second round pick, mm-hmm. fourth round pick cornerback Trey Brown out of Oklahoma. Give me a hot take, Stacey. Well, Jake already knows I love my petites. Yes. So I am the team petite. petite squad is I, strong right I now. I have an all-star team petite squad. I have all NFL, and then I also have just Seahawks, and I'm proud to have a new addition with Dwayne Eskridge, who uh, has 5'9 listed. It looks like his uh, actual stats are a little under that, though, which, like, shout out to the petites. I, uh, I was seeing lots of knocks on him for his age, 24 years old, um, uh, redshirt senior, correct? Correct. So broke got his it, collarbone. Broke correct. his collarbone. Came back just exclusively as a wide receiver, as opposed to switching roles. But um, I think that you know, considering it's a second round pick, they clearly feel like it's a good fit. I think wide receiver, particularly nationally, was one of the most underrated positions of need for this team. Jake and I have been talking about that. I know Michael Bumpus has talked about it. You guys have talked about it. You and Danny O'Neill. When you cover the team more closely, a lot of national reporters, or excuse me, a lot of local reporters recognize that that there was some serious depth issues there. And so I think maybe some national folks were expecting an offensive lineman, maybe a defensive end or defensive tackle. And it's not like those aren't areas of need, but I really liked seeing a wide receiver added here. I don't think that... Um, they uh, misstepped in not taking an OL, although I know that there were still a couple that we all loved who were that were on the board. I know Jake loved a couple of them still on the board, but Jake also profiled Eskridge, as did Michael Bumpus. And so he was a guy that folks here at 710 were eyeing and knew might be a good fit. Um, a speedy guy. I don't mind that he's a slot receiver. He played outside uh, at Western Michigan. I think that he'll have a harder time playing outside in the league. But, you know, I also thought that about Tyler Lockett. Uh, I thought that Tyler Lockett would be uh, pretty exclusively uh, relegated to special teams and then some slot stuff. And he is almost a better outside receiver at this point. Um he, I think he brings a lot of explosiveness. I think Pete and John, speaking last night with reporters, really liked, they always like guys that they feel like are a culture fit, right? When they drafted Jordan Brooks, people were like, why did you take a linebacker? For goodness sakes, why did you take a linebacker? And they were like, they, we draft guys that are Seahawks. We draft guys that we feel like fit our team, fit the culture, because we recognize that if you want to have a winning program for 10 years, you can't have guys that don't buy in 
you need guys that can buy in and be part of the team and be a core member of the team. And they clearly felt like this was a good personality fit with Eskridge. And I think one of the big things that Pete Carroll seemed to indicate was his physicality and most importantly, his willingness as a receiver when the team needed help on defense to be like, no problem. What do you need? I'll absolutely be a cornerback. Not only am I going to be a cornerback, I'm going to really throw myself into it and be physical. I think a guy like Pete Carroll, who is an old school guy, saw that willingness, saw that physicality, and thought, check, check, A-plus from me. Versatility. He's a kick returner as well. He played running back in high school. I think he's a little tough after the catch. For me, it's all about the 4.38 speed that he ran at his pro day at Western Michigan, and I think there is a big trend towards speed in the NFL that we are seeing. First off, Kansas City, we know that they are one of the fastest teams in the league. The Miami Dolphins this year, Jalen Waddell, they signed Will Fuller in free agency. I am all aboard signing or drafting a guy who's really fast, and Jake, now Russell Wilson has yet another person who can stretch the field. Yeah, it's insane, and you look at Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, now Dwayne Eskridge, these guys can flat fly, and I think that the, the biggest key to all of this is adding more chess pieces for Shane Waldron and his offense to be able to utilize and to be able to play with and have fun with in terms of creating uh, ways to put the defense in a bind. And that is, and Eskridge is going to be a factor in the run game, right? He's a guy that can get the ball in his hands, but more so I'm talking about the fly sweep game. Mm -hmm. David Moore there were lots of things to like about David Moore, but I was not worried that David Moore, or I don't think a defensive uh, coordinator was worried that David Moore could take it to the house at any given time if he was touching the football. Could he get you a good you know, 10, 12-yard run? Sure. Eskridge could take it to the house. That's the difference. And now people are going to really have to pay attention to that. Um, and it's going to make the run game better for Chris Carson and crew. Um, he's going to make it easier for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So there's a lot of things to like about Eskridge and what he brings to the table. Obviously, he's going to have to show that. He's going to have to come in and earn that job and show that he's capable of all those things. But just from a mentality standpoint, I think that he's going to fit in right away. As you mentioned, Stacy. I think he's going to put in the work. He's going to put in the time to get it done. But I love the fact that there is a role for him right away that's obvious that I think that he can excel at from day one. And we'll see if he can grow into much, much more you know, during his rookie season. And that will be really icing on the cake. I love that you mentioned speed, too. And not only speed for Seattle, but for where the NFL is evolving. For the knocks that this team, that Seattle has taken for in the minds of a lot of people, and in some ways they're very right and fair, being kind of behind the times in, term of the, in terms of the traits they value or the players they value, speed is becoming an ultimate factor with team success, particularly on offense, but on offense and defense in the NFL. Offenses are scoring faster. They're scoring more. And credit to Seattle for recognizing they needed to improve there. I'm going to give you guys a couple of buzzwords when you take a look at the, in a nutshell, really quick draft profiles for both of these guys up on CBSSports.com. Dwayne Eskridge, burner, home runs, runs angry after the catch. Trey Brown, super feisty. Feet are lightning bolts, and he loves Feet battling. Feet are lightning bolts. I, I like love that hearing one. that. So I that, love draft scout talk is my favorite thing. So a fast guy at wide receiver. He's got wiggly hips. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> I heard oily as a oily term hips. For, for wide receivers and for defensive backs. Oh, that's backs, good. That seems like he's, he's, ex- that's exactly what I was going to say. He got oily hips. <laughs> this scouting report for Trey Brown, guys, says will be an instant starter. 
And what's interesting about the Trey Brown selection, again, I don't know if that's actually going to be the case. This is just what the draft profile reads on CBSSports.com. But yet again, the Seahawks are going in a different direction at cornerback. For years, 6'1", 6'2", you got to have long arms. DJ Reed steps in last year and down the stretch really played well. Now they bring in another guy in the fourth round, and again, we'll see what happens. He's going to definitely compete for one of those starting outside gigs, I would imagine, with Akello Witherspoon. He's only five foot ten. I am surprised that, as Stacey loves, the petites are also a trend for the Seahawks well, and at quarterback. That, that Jake knows, as Jake knows, as Howdy knows, because he was there when I discovered this, I have always stood for people with abnormally short arms for their height. I mean, I think that it's something that <laughs> we, we, we tell people to feel bad about. In reality, short arms can be <laughs> a, a great weapon and a great tool. His arms are not abnormally short uh, for his height. They're very normal. Stacey's the Seahawks, projecting here. The Seahawks <laughs> just happen to love receivers with long arms. Now, here's my question for both of you. Do you think the success of DJ Reed in their system may have influenced some of this? No doubt. I, I do think that that's the case. And that's, you know, Paul, you were alluding to that. And Stacey, you asked the question. Yes, absolutely. I think that DJ Reed reminded them that, hey, the cornerback position doesn't need to fit a prototype. Hey, reminder, Russell Wilson, right. at quarterback, didn't fit the prototype and he becomes a, a an amazing player. Richard Sherman uh, initially for didn't you. fit the prototype. He didn't. And you changed the prototype. You changed what the prototype was. And and I think that what they found in Trey Brown is when you talk about mental makeups, Trey Brown brings that mental makeup that they love. Grit, feistiness, isn't going to back down from a soul. And that's what DJ Reed brought to the table last year, right? That's what Richard Sherman was. It didn't matter who you were. I am not going to back down from you, right? I believe in myself and I am confident enough in myself that uh, I can take it to you. And that's what Trey Brown brings to the table. Here's what I love about Trey Brown. It's a pick that surprised me, and I didn't see it coming because it didn't fit the the physical prototype of what they're looking for and what they want. I was looking at bigger, longer corners. What I like about Trey Brown is the fact that he does bring that physicality. He plays with an edge, but there is a role for him right away. He will be a special teams ace. That's the role that he will have coming in into his rookie year. Now, the same thing that I told about, I said about uh, Dwayne Eskridge, can he expand that role? Will he be given the opportunity to truly compete out on the edge for that starting cornerback spot? That will be the biggest question that we will have here in regards to Trey Brown. But if they give him a chance, I'm not going to count him out just based off of how he approaches the game, how he approaches himself, and the way, the style in which he plays. This guy's a playmaker, and he finds a way to get it done. And so uh, I'm excited about that, and I'm excited to bring that edge to this team and to continue to add those types of personalities. Um, I I want those guys here. Now three smaller corners on the roster, because Ugo Amadi there as well, and maybe Trey Brown actually gets a chance to play nickel cornerback. Something you want to know about Trey Brown, and I saw this last night, uh, excuse me, this morning when I was looking up Trey Brown information and statistics, and I saw this YouTube video. And it says Trey Brown's best moments in the Big 12 championship game, and I thought to myself, wait a second, what, what does that mean? He has made huge plays in three straight Big 12 national cha- uh, Big 12 championship games. 2018, he sacked Sam Ellinger on a corner blitz uh, with the Sooners having a five-point lead, and Love ultimately, this gave them a safety on that play. So. Basically, they were able to close out the game because he tackled Sam Ellinger for a safety. Sam Ellinger, not an easy guy to tackle. 2019, Oklahoma's up 23-20, only five and a half minutes left. I guess this is his <laughs> this is his uh, success time. Baylor quarterback Jacob Zeno threw a pass to Chris Platt. 
Platt juked his guy, caught the ball in stride, but Brown tackled him on a 78-yard pass play short of the goal line. Oklahoma held, so he basically pulled what we saw from DK Metcalf last year in that game against the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. And in this past year's Big 12 championship game against Iowa State, Brock Purdy pressured out of the pocket, threw it up for grabs. Brown gets the game-clinching interception with a minute 05 left to play. So this guy's clutch in addition to being fast. And that, and that's that's a great quality to have and he's a guy that has found his way around the ball to make plays as, as you have outlined and uh, I love hearing that in big moments as well. The one knock on him has been the fact that he is so physical that he is overly physical as a corner. You worry he might get hurt for his especially no, for being not, smaller? No, not hurt. It's the fact that can he keeps his keep his hands off the jersey and eliminate ah, the penalties. Especially in a league where they are penalizing that much. I hate that they penalize that because honestly I hear that Jake and Stacy, and I get so excited. I love cornerbacks who are going to be physical but of course yes can't touch these guys anymore. Yeah it's it's one of those things that you've got you've to change your game a little bit and I want them to be aggressive and I want him to, to continue to bring that edge here but he's going to have to relearn. Yeah he's going to have to relearn what he can and can't do mm-hmm. and so that's something that made a lot of people wary about his play was that it was so physical can it translate to the NFL level given his size and has he been getting away with stuff at the college level um, that he may not otherwise yeah exactly so uh, I think that that's something that you got to keep an eye on as well but I, I, I like to give guys the chance right if you were asked to do something from a schematic point of view at Oklahoma, I'm not, I, again, I'm just speculating. I'm not saying I know that's what they were saying at Oklahoma. He alluded to the fact that that was the case at Oklahoma, that it, their DB coach, the defensive coordinator, wanted them to be very physical and handsy. Um, but if that's the case, he's executing what he's being told to do. And I think he will be able to make that transition in Seattle with Pete Carroll, with with their defensive backs coach, with, talking through what it, what they want, how the style of play that they want, um, and and we'll see how this uh, how this can translate for Trey Brown. But uh, I hope that in an always compete mentality for Pete Carroll, that this cornerback spot isn't given to anybody. Because guess what? There's nobody on this roster right now at the cornerback spot. I don't view this necessarily as a negative, but there's nobody on this roster that I would be giving the job to day one tomorrow. Yeah. Everybody has to earn it. Akil Witherspoon, Pierre Desir, DJ Reed, for that matter. He didn't play 16 games last Trey. year. Uh, Trey Flowers. You look at now, you add Trey Brown into the mix. This is a group that's going to be about competition and can the cream rise to the top. And that's that's ultimately what the foundation of this program has been built off of. And uh, can, can they get great results out of that? I'm glad that you mentioned on that front that DJ Reed does have to prove it. And you know, one of the tricky things about the end of last season, we saw the Seahawks defense, I think, take real strides down the stretch. But at the same time, who was the best quarterback that they went up against? Was it injured Kyler Murray? Was it Jared Goff? Because, uh, you know, it was Colt McCoy and Dwayne Haskins and stuff. I mean, that is a defense that definitely grew as the season went along, but they're going up against guys like... Don't forget C.J. Beathard. Put some respect yeah. on his name. Hello. Paul. Come Fair on. enough. Paul, I forgot about him. so rude. <laughs> See? Easy to forget about, but also easy to forget that they went up against guys Daniel like that. Daniel Jones, maybe? <laughs> yeah. No. No, no, no actually, no. He's Not even Daniel Jones. So, I mean, that's the that's the interesting part about that, and, and we'll see. And, you know, you mentioned Trey Flowers a moment ago, too. As far as the physicality side of things, that has been an issue for Trey Flowers. Some guys aren't able to shake it, and then their confidence goes. I just remember vividly it was 2019 with the Seahawks playing the Buccaneers when he was trying to cover Mike Evans and 
Mike Evans took his lunch money from him. And it's a shame because before mm-hmm. that moment in time, I actually felt really good about Trey Flowers. Yeah, he was a great rookie. I mean, he he was a guy that came off of a great rookie year. Um, and, and he blew away expectations at, at transition safety to corner, a fifth-round pick, and, and played very, very well as a starting corner in the league um, uh, that year and has just kind of gone downhill since and hasn't been able to stay healthy. He had a good string of games last year, then got hurt, and then never saw the field again once DJ Reed really stepped up and took it over. So I think really there's two things that you're looking for. You're looking for guy or three things. Sorry, you're looking for guys that are going to execute their defensive scheme and responsibility. They're not going to be uh, they're not going to be liabilities out there. That they also have playmaking ability, which DJ Reed showed. Right, his ability to get his hands on the football, read and react, and 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 trust his eyes. The third thing is, do these guys bring a different level of edge? Do they bring a different level of intensity and swagger about them out on the edge? That's what you need at the cornerback position. DJ Reed flashed that in spades last year. Can he continue to keep going down that road? I know Trey Brown is going to bring that as a young rookie. Can it hold up once he gets with the big boys at the NFL level when he go, when he's going up against DK Metcalf and Dwayne Eskridge and Tyler Lockett? Can he keep that same swagger and confidence when he goes up against legitimate top-level receiver talent uh, that he will be facing? every day in practice that remains to be seen but I do love the competition that they've created here at that spot look all I know is that if both starting corners for the Seahawks are under 510 and they have a great year I'm taking it it? as a win I will not absolutely not I will talk about it more than you talked about Tom Brady's win in Tampa Bay and tried to claim the Buccaneers well speaking of that uh, it's pick 199 on the clock everybody you know that was a pretty important pick back in the day way back in 2000 for those who remember that was when Tom Brady was picked that was the Minnesota Vikings there on the clock at pick number 199 right now the Seahawks have two picks left today before we wrap up the 2021 NFL draft 217 in the sixth round 250 that is in the seventh round after taking Dwayne Eskridge last night in the second round out of Western Michigan cornerback Trey Brown out of Oklahoma today in the fourth round I'm Paul Gallant alongside Jake Heaps and Stacey Ross you are listening to coverage of the 2021 NFL draft right here on your home of the Seattle Seahawks 710 ESPN Seattle You're listening to the Seahawks Draft on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nonstop Seahawks Draft coverage from the first pick to the last on 710sports.com. Nothing quite gets me going like NFL primetime music. This isn't my favorite, but this is probably top three. I'm Paul Gallant. Your coverage of the 2021 NFL Draft continues right here on 710 ESPN Seattle, your home of the Seattle Seahawks. To my right, the quarterback, Jake Heaps. To my left, Seahawks insider, Stacey Rost. Okay, guys, what's the biggest need left for the Seahawks? They have two picks left, unless they trade for more. Pick number 217, which is coming up a little bit later this round, and pick 250 in the seventh round. I am going to go with a surprise pick, kind of, Mm -hmm. in terms of a position need, but I'm going to go with defensive tackle. Mm. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. You did? Yeah. Well, maybe because you've heard me talk about how defensive tackle is kind of the wild card spot, I think, for the Seahawks in terms of additions. They need some depth behind Puna Ford at that three-technique defensive tackle position, a guy that can uh, bring a level of pass rush that would be adequate to Puna Ford, if not better, uh, as a rotational player. And uh, there were a bunch of really good defensive tackles that I felt that I felt fit the profile. One guy that I would be highly intrigued by is 
a guy who's left right now in the draft, Marvin Wilson out of Florida State. 6'4", little over 300 pounds. This is a guy that initially highly touted recruit coming out of high school, absolutely tore it up the early part of his career. He was a surefire first-round selection, ends up getting hurt, has a little bit of um, off-the-field issues in terms of maturity, just just being a hard worker, those types of things. That's not necessarily the guy that I would love to have in the building, but in terms of the potential upside, are you getting somebody that people have looked over because of uh, of because of past mistakes, and that he can turn things around in this in this scheme in this always compete environment, he might be a guy because of talent wise would be an interesting selection to take at that defensive tackle position. You want a big one, Stacey Ross? More petites or another <laughs> Always direction? Always more petites. Um, I guess we were talking about uh, the idea of maybe a center. The the more that they pick, uh, the less I am thinking they're going to go with any offensive lineman, with the exception of maybe drafting someone for depth. Um, so in that case, I would be, first of all, okay with a repeat at uh, either receiver or corner. Um, they do not have cornerback depth uh, in terms of this is mostly a term we would use for baseball, but club control, for lack of a better word, beyond this season. Right. Uh, so right now, counting Trey Brown, you've got two guys under contract. And Trey Brown, this is all assuming you get his rookie deal done. We're just assuming because it'll happen. They all get done. Yeah. They all get done. Um you got him and Ugo Amadi, and so adding one more there would be pretty nice. Uh, I wouldn't mind either um, seeing uh, some more defensive depth up front with, like Jake said, either a tackle, uh, a defensive end, hedging your bets in case Daryl Taylor, in case Alton Robinson doesn't work out, although Alton Robinson had a pretty promising rookie season. You've also spent— Okay, that's enough. We've also, the answer is Syracuse. You may continue. We've also seen them spend a lot of money in free agency at that position. The number one and two needs by far for me were cornerback and wide receiver. I'm glad to see that they've addressed both because they were such great needs. I would not mind seeing either addressed uh, again, although okay. they have more needs uh, to fill. I, I, let me give you one that Curtis Rogers brought up earlier that I thought was really um, an interesting point by him is what about linebacker, right? Mm. If you look at Wouldn't that position right now, because really w- what this is about when you get into the later rounds, this is about best available. Like you're not yes. necessarily going, 100% oh man, agree. Yes. this defensive tackle, we need this need, we need that need, and we're going to find that next starter in the sixth and seventh round. We're going to bank off of that. You're going off of who, <laughs> what your board is and going down that list and seeing who's remaining on the top of your board. It doesn't matter really what position it is. Mm-hmm. And linebacker could be one of those positions that they look at and take in because of right now Jordan Brooks, Bobby Wagner, if you don't bring back KJ Wright, he's only going to be a one-year guy. What do you have behind him? Cody Barton and, and BBK? BBK is right? not a guy that you're looking at to be your, and I know you he's know that. Special teamer. He's a great special teams is, guy, but... and so is Cody Barton, but you do need to continue to keep adding depth there and keep adding youth to that position, so that could be uh, another wild card pick that uh, you could you could end up seeing. We'll see if K.J. Wright ends up back on the roster. I know that you guys were talking about in the last hour. Taylor Jacobs brought this point up. Micah Parsons, the drafting of him by the Cowboys might be a sign that K.J. Wright He's really got no other options other than to come back to the Seahawks, but we'll keep an eye on that. As far as what I would like to see the Seahawks do, Jake, you hit the nail on the head with that. Whoever they like. So it sounds like I'm walking the fence there, but I will also say this. I don't think you can ever have enough offensive linemen. 
And I know last year in the offseason, they basically went into this Thunderdome-esque, let's put 19 huge bodies into one arena and only six, seven, eight or so come out alive. <laughs> I would like to see that again. I don't think you can ever have enough. I, I do think that if you were to able to find some guy that could be a diamond in the rough, can polish him into maybe the starting left tackle of the future, very unlikely to find that guy in the sixth round or something like that. But I think that could be a direction that the Seahawks go, and I know some people were frustrated that he did not do that earlier. It is your coverage of the 2021 NFL Draft right here on 710 ESPN Seattle, your home of the Seattle Seahawks. Right now, the Seahawks' two picks on the board. They took Dwayne Eskridge with the 56th pick in the second round. They took Trey Brown, cornerback from Oklahoma, in the fourth round with pick number 137. They have pick 217, which is coming right around the corner, and you'll end up hearing it here right here on your home for the Seattle Seahawks, 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to the Seahawks Draft on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nonstop Seahawks Draft coverage from the first pick to the last on 710sports.com. Paul Gallant, Jake Heap, Stacey Rosk. We continue our coverage of the 2021 NFL Draft. The two picks that the Seahawks have made thus far in the draft. Dwayne Eskridge in the second round. Trey Brown, a corner out of Oklahoma, the most recent pick. Currently, the Carolina Panthers are on the clock at pick 204. The Seattle Seahawks don't pick until 217, so eh, 13 picks away or so. All right, guys, I want to shift away from the draft for just a moment because a very cranky quarterback who's also mildly passive-aggressive and mildly hmm, extremely hypocritical. <laughs> uh, apparently, we know what it is that will get him back in the fold for the Green Bay Packers. We found this out this afternoon. Aaron Rodgers would like violence. He would like blood. He would like, as the British call it, a sacking. He would like to see Brian Gutekunst, the general manager of the Packers, oot, as our Canadian brethren up north say. He wants him fired. Yeah. This is going to be the second time that he is going to try and flex his uh, proverbial muscle uh, in terms of trying to get what he wants. And the first time around, it was head coach Mike McCarthy. He ended up getting that done, and now he has set his eyes on new GM Brian Gutekunst. And uh, best of luck to Gutekunst uh, in this situation because if it comes down to Aaron Rodgers and Gutekunst, I, it's nothing against him, but I'm sorry, you don't add that same value that Aaron Rodgers adds. And uh, I think that with Aaron Rodgers, I, I, this is all a vendetta. That's all it is because in terms of the job. Why Gute- against Gutekunst, though? Because, because he's, he the, one that, he's the one Love? that selected Jordan Love. Here's the thing. The, the disconnect – that can exist in the NFL is wide-ranging more than you would ever anticipate, right? There are some organizations like the Seattle Seahawks, some of the best organizations where there is tremendous synergy between the ownership, the GM, the the, the coaching staff, the front office, all of that. It's all in synergy, and they all communicate, and they understand, and they work together. There's other organizations in the NFL where it is completely disconnected. And surprisingly, the Green Bay Packers seem to be one of those organizations where there isn't great communication. The GM, GMs, the head coach, head coaches, and there's not really a whole lot of communication between both sides, or at least there's much uh, that you would think. Matt LaFleur didn't even really know that they were going to pick Jordan Love. I mean, can you imagine that? Matt LaFleur didn't have a decision. He he wasn't part of that decision-making process. So when you go through that, this is on Gutekunst in terms of that pick. Aaron Rodgers knows that, and and he's not happy about it, and he's still holding a grudge off that one pick. Are our expectations for the power that a player should have 
not up to speed when it comes to a franchise quarterback. For instance, we had Bump on the other day and we were talking to him about like, hey, lots of people, basically there are some people that see it as a player should never speak out about management, period. But a quarterback, a franchise quarterback and a franchise quarterback who's been there for years is a lot more like middle management than he is just an employee. You know what I mean? Like a, a, a quarterback who is that good has a lot more power than does even the average quarterback, much less the average player. Yes, I, I, I think that's beginning to be the case, but I would just take a look at what's going on in Houston. Now, Deshaun Watson has other issues that he has to, I guess, navigate through if he even can before he gets back on the field, because I imagine he is at the very least in for a suspension once this legal matter where it's just creepy behavior at the very least, if not worse, from him. But before that took place, you'd remember that there were issues in the Texans' front office because Jack Easterby, a former chaplain turned somehow team vice president, has been someone that a lot of Texans players don't want. Deshaun Watson wants Jack Easterby out. And I think until Jack Easterby's out, he's probably going to do the same thing that we're hearing about Aaron Rodgers potentially doing. So we're seeing players try to flex for changes like this in upper management. It's not happening yet. Someday it will. For me, there's a difference. If you have a level of power and you see that there are certain things or certain trends that have happened and and mistakes that have been made repeatedly that have not been corrected – I think that that's where you can be seen as, okay, I'm stepping in because I think that there's a wrong that needs to be righted here, and we need to have a conversation. We need to be able to get through this and address it and work towards something. This is straight-up vendetta. This is straight-up just going through and and flexing your power and saying, basically putting the organization in a hostage situation and saying, you know, Deshaun Watson's case, I want this guy gone. Now, is he right or wrong in that situation? I think it's I think he it's is right. up to the beholder. Watson is right. <laughs> and yeah, Watson is right in this situation. Aaron Rodgers? That I don't know. I, I I don't think so. I don't think he's right for this. I think that this is pure uh this this has nothing to do with wins or losses. I think that this has to do everything with hurt feelings and feeling like the organization doesn't value him the way that he needs to be valued and 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 not planning and doing everything around him the way that he wants. When over the past few years they have surrounded him with very good talent, it may not be in the form of a first-round pick like he wants it to be, but they have always found good players around him, good protection, good skill position players, and he just came off an MVP season, for goodness sake. It's hard for me to buy that he has it really bad in Green Bay. He doesn't. 48 touchdown passes. He has Devontae Adams. He has David Bakhtiari. Those are two All-Pros. He has a Pro Bowler at running back behind him as well. I can't understand why he maybe is upset about the Jordan Love pick, but I feel like, and this is just me being rational, I, I understand it's a little diff, it's a little easier for me to be rational because I'm not the one that is potentially having my replacement drafted after me, but he did not finish the 2019 season very well. He had a good game against the Seahawks, but you take a look at the other games down the stretch, lots of incomplete passes, games where he was sub-50% completion. No doubt. I can understand why the Packers maybe thought to themselves, oh, is this... Is this starting to be the decline of Aaron Rodgers, and then he goes out and he has a ridiculous season. Yeah, I think... I do think wins and losses are part of it, and I'll ex- explain why, because I think I've heard this argument before with when it comes to Russell Wilson and the Seahawks front office from fans, and I actually... This is an argument that I don't mind. I don't know the answer to it, but it's an interesting one. Um, before that, I wish that I knew with Aaron Rodgers... 
and Brian Gutekunst, is it you're mad and salty because you have a huge ego and the team is preparing for your eventual departure? Because sorry, Aaron, I hate to break it to you, but you're in your late 30s. And mo- there's a reason Tom Brady and every is famous in part, obviously for his entire career, but that people are now making jokes about like Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, re-sign Brady at 46 because it is rare to be as successful as he is at his age. I think that people, including the Packers, were looking at Aaron Rodgers just like they were looking at Drew Brees, just like people looked at Brett Favre, just like people looked at Peyton Manning, just like people have looked at any quarterback that gets into his late 30s. When is this going to stop? When is Correct. his mind and his savvy not going to matter because his body can't catch up? And you know that it comes for you eventually. Right. No, it's going to come for Tom Brady eventually. Yeah, father, father sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, Paul, but it will. I don't know about that. It, and so, <laughs> you say so that, is but... this because you're mad that the team was preparing for that? Or is it because you feel like the team is not listening to you, not respecting you? Because he could have some legitimacy to his argument that the GM isn't making great calls. For instance, another team, another GM uh, and head coach that decided to move forward with another quarterback, look at the Eagles. Imagine that those two records were switched. Imagine the Packers last year had the Eagles record. I think there'd be a lot of fans calling for Brian Gutekunst's job. Sure, but they didn't. They've gone to back-to-back NFC yeah, Championship games. On whose back? Uh, well, Aaron Rodgers has played MVP level ball. Their defense has been pretty. They, they've been sure. good. Yeah, but yeah, it's been on Aaron Rodgers, of course. But they have been able to maximize the talent. And before Matt Lafleur showed up, uh, Aaron Rodgers, as Paul uh, outlined, he was on a downslope. His play was. was declining drastically. Was. And and I guess what Aaron Rodgers doesn't like is the organization. The moment that that happens, if he has one bad year. Let's say this next year, he goes from MVP level play to a bad year. They're going to move on. They've got their guy of the future. And that's the same kind of thing that they did with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. Brett, remember, Aaron Rodgers didn't start until year, what, three, four? Mm-hmm. It didn't start till late, right? Sad and so back. I think the Packers are very content in saying, look, we've got Jordan Love. We're not eager to get him on the field. We're still committed to Aaron Rodgers being our quarterback for the foreseeable future. But we've got our other option available to us if things were to go south and if that decline ends up hitting in the next year, two years, three years. And uh, Aaron Rodgers doesn't like to have that. I think players get salty when a team decides that your career is ending or over. We heard Alex Smith talk about it. Very different circumstance when he talked about uh, Rivera, when he talked about Washington's coaching staff feeling like, hey, you've accomplished enough. You should be proud of where you are. And he was thinking, excuse you, I believe I can accomplish so much more. Not only that, but I have been medically cleared to get a shot at doing it. And you won't give me that shot. Very different circumstance. But we were talking the other day about his comments and how, um, you know, from Rivera's point of view, like, yeah, it was you're totally right to be worried about potentially hurting him, pitting him on the field. A player is never ready to accept when his career is done. And Alex Smith's case, it wasn't. In the case of Aaron Rodgers, here's another wrench, guys, in, in the entirety of this entire situation where, you know, it's it, it's different than Alex Smith. That's that's for sure, because, of course, we saw him come off an MVP season. When Brian Gutekunst took over in Green Bay, he was basically nominated for this gig and promoted for this gig by the late Ted Thompson, the last general manager of the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay, I joke and call them the People's Republic of Green Bay often because if you don't know. They don't have an actual owner. 
there's not one guy. You know, it's shareholders. This is this is a publicly owned team. Right. Aaron doesn't have anyone to go to. You know, this is different than for a, just a completely 180 different uh, situation. You know, you take a look at Washington football team where you got Daniel Snyder, who really liked Dwayne Haskins, who really liked Robert Griffin III. There's not really anyone for Aaron to go say, hey, what, what's up with this guy? Because if he did have an owner, I feel like he actually would get his way here. The problem is, who do you really go to if you're in Green Bay and you, you have issues with upper management? Because <laughs> there's just Brian Gutekunst, and then after that, I don't really know who you go to. Well, there's, there's Ryan Murphy, who's the, the VP of, of Green Bay uh, right now, and he would be the next guy I think you would go to, but... It's still a, it's still a different scenario. It's you, you you're talking about your GM. That's another level of upper management. Head coach, you can go based off of wins and losses, and and maybe you can create the story of hey, we're stagnant and we can't we can't get past this point because Mike McCarthy isn't the guy anymore, right? And he isn't helping me produce at the same level that I used to be able to produce at. He's not in it the same way that I'm in it. GM, that's a tough sell. And especially when that GM has done nothing but over the past two years help you get to 13 and three and get you to NFC Championship games. But once I've, but once again, I've said before, if you're really committed to Aaron Rodgers and if you you feel like he can be your guy for the next three years, even that's a tough sell. That's a tough sell to say that we're going to be willing to move on from Aaron Rodgers, knowing he's got three good years left, but just because we're going to keep this GM. Right. That's a tough that's a tough thing. And so I am not envious of Brian Gutekunst in this situation. The only thing that he's done is just add a competition for Aaron Rodgers and and that's about it. That's the only harm that he has done in this process. That's the quarterback Jake Heaps, Seahawks insider Stacy Ross to my left. I am Paul Galan. Our coverage of the twenty twenty one NFL draft continues and up next, two things to get you really excited about Trey Brown. Oof. You will find out what those two things are next. You are listening to the Seahawks Draft on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nonstop Seahawks Draft coverage from the first pick to the last on 710sports.com. And some breaking news as the Seattle Seahawks appear. They have traded up to pick number 208, and they drafted a defensive tackle out of the Florida Gators. Chomp, chomp. They draft a defensive tackle who I think has a wonderful name, Stone Foresight. Great name for an OT. Yeah. Give me somebody that sounds like a stone wall. That's the kind of person that I want to defend. Jake Heaps, you wanted a defensive tackle. What is? What are the Seahawks getting with Stone Foresight? Stone Forsyth is uh he's an offensive tackle. Oh, I can't here. read then. I saw I saw on the TV <laughs> OD. Clearly I need to get my eyesight checked. That's on. okay, Paul. Maybe this was a this was a good point for you. This was the the tipping point to to get yourself into the eye Jeez, doctor here. He's huge. Uh yeah, he's a he's a guy 6'8", a uh, little over uh, 305 pounds uh, out of Florida. Uh, arm arms wingspan is is right where you would want it to be at the offensive tackle position. Um, you know, he, bloodlines. He, he comes from uh, his dad, Ray Forsyth, um, playing offensive line at the collegiate level, and then playing for the Cincinnati Bengals, bouncing around a little bit at the NFL Europe and Arena League. Um, and and I think that when you look at a guy like this, is it's really a developmental tackle, right? So uh, when you're when you're talking about where he fits into 
the grand scheme of things. Is this going to be Dwayne Brown's eventual replacement? I don't know if I'd put my money on that. Obviously, they liked him well enough that they were willing to trade up for him. But I think that they are very content kind of seeing how he plays out and how he's able to develop and learn behind Dwayne Brown and crew. And then also being able to go forward with um, also Brandon Shell, right? Brandon Shell is going to be on the last year of his contract. Do they feel like Forsyth has the ability to maybe transition over to the right side of the ball? Who knows? Um, but I think that this is a developmental pickup for them. Uh, they've had a proverbial swing tackle, right? They, they'd had that with George Fant and Cedric Abuehi. You don't necessarily want that. You want good, solid depth. You want a backup left tackle. You want a backup right tackle. You want guys that have played that position, know that position, and can step up and, and, and fill that void. Uh, you know that they can do it confidently. So I think that this is a good pickup for them to have a developmental guy, obviously not expecting a whole lot from him at this stage, and we'll learn a heck of a lot more once he gets here into Seattle at the VMAC and, and their feelings on him. Now NFL scout Lance Zerline, he writes his prospects for NFL.com, uh, and in addition to just saying that Stone Forsyth is an absolutely massive human being at 6'8", 307, uh, arms are 34, 38 inches, 10 inch hands. Uh, he is a redshirt senior, uh, uh, the third player the Seahawks have taken that's just a bit older than his counterparts. That being said, um, he this is interesting, Jake and, and Paul. We are so used to the Seahawks taking guys, go flashback in the time machine to 2018, trying to revamp the run game, going with DJ Fluker and that run protection. Well, Zerline said of Forsyth that it's actually, quote, tale of two tapes with pass pro. He's often a starting caliber in the NFL at pass pro, and the run tape leaves a lot to be desired. Okay. Bit of a switch. You want to give Russell Wilson, I guess, guys that are on the other side of things going to be able to protect six foot nine. Goodness gracious! Yeah, it's a big dude. I can't. How many players in the NFL are even above six foot? How six? many Altuve's is that? that Three, is, uh, at least two. <laughs> two point two point two Altuve's, I think. Six foot nine is just absolutely massive, and we'll see what he's able to do. But I, I like that they bring in an offensive lineman because I don't think that you can get enough guys and. Per Jeff Schwartz, he just tweeted this out. Stone Forsyth is a huge value for the Seahawks. Most had him second or third round. Well, I hear that, and that also gets me very, very excited. I do want to share what I was going to share with you guys about one Trey Brown. Trey Brown had the lowest passer rating allowed in single coverage in the entirety of this draft per PFF. He also didn't allow 70-plus yards in coverage in any games over the last two seasons, which maybe you don't think a whole lot about. It's yards. But keep in mind, he's playing in the Big 12, where it's basically the Arena Football League at times. So I'm really excited about Trey Brown, and I'm very curious as to what he's going to bring to the table. Yeah, I'm going to be curious as well, and that's why I think he's a perfect candidate to let him compete. If you're going to have that philosophy, let him come in and compete. I think that his attitude, his his ferocity, his feistiness, the way that he approaches the game allows him to come in and step into that competition that you created there, uh, and, and he's got a chance. So we'll see if he's able to maintain that level of play here at the next level. If he is, you maybe have found a, a really nice sleeper pick that is, is not afraid to uh, get involved in the run game is very instinctual, and then a guy that you know is going to contribute for you on 
special teams in some form or fashion. So I think this is an exciting pickup for them, and uh, we'll, we'll see if that, that production, Paul, that you point to is able to translate. Going to add a really quick note about that trade. Seahawks, by the way, had traded up for offensive tackle Stone Forsyth, taking him at 208. They were sitting at 217. So uh, Kevin Fishbane, a Chicago Bears beat reporter for The Athletic, has the details on that trade with the Bears. He says the Bears traded 208 to Seattle for 217, which is where Seattle was, and Seattle's 250th overall pick, which was their final pick. As of right now, Seattle's draft is officially over with three picks. However, you guys, do not forget, and this is important, the last two years in a row, the Seahawks have traded back into the seventh round by swapping a sixth rounder from the following draft class. They dra- they uh, traded a 2026 rounder, or excuse me, a 2019 sixth rounder to take John Ursua, got a 2026 rounder, 2021, uh, to take Stefan Sullivan. Uh, and so I wouldn't rule them out completely for the draft, two years in a row trading back in. Don't rule them out. They might do any uh, anything is possible. But please, Pete and John, just like William Wallace and Braveheart, hold the line. Hold! Hold! Do not trade back into this draft. It is not worth it. Go attack uh, undrafted free agency. Go recruit your butts off. Go get as many guys as possible. Hold the line. And, and, and I think that this is a good productive draft for you. Three picks. I know it stinks. Uh, it, it's not what you typically want. But you also got Jamal Adams, Gabe Jackson out of this draft. Uh, so a pretty good draft class for you Carlos overall. Dunlap. Carlos Dunlap, not a bad thing. And then also as you head into the next phase of it, they are not done adding to their roster in free agency. So uh, what I've loved from this is they've gotten two guys in the upper part of their draft the second round, fourth round, two guys that are going to bring an attitude, a swagger to this team, and speed, legitimate speed. And now you get a 6'8", basically a project, a a pass protector, and a guy that you need to develop into a a good run blocker. Let's see if you can develop some nastiness into Stone Forsyth. He's got the name to be a nasty run blocker. You just gotta you just gotta get him to realize it. But overall, uh, feel good about this draft in terms of the first two picks, and uh, you know, gonna be excited to see how they come in and fit. Me as well. So three picks. Dwayne Eskridge last night, second round pick, pick fifty six overall, one hundred and thirty. 37th pick, this one coming in the fourth round today. Trey Brown, a cornerback out of Oklahoma, and Stone Forsythe, an offensive lineman out of Florida. Three three players. And as you just laid it out, Jake, yes, there are other players that they have essentially acquired with these draft picks. I'm not going to lie, though. I am surprised. I thought, specifically with that second-round pick, that John Schneider would trade back and try to get as many as he possibly could with that second-round pick. Now, I am happy that they got a guy who's really fast, especially seeing as we heard last night that – Dwayne Eskridge, I think, was of the belief that the Los Angeles Rams were just about to take him. And instead, he basically, while he was answering the phone call, he said, the Ram- I mean, the Seahawks, it was great to hear the Seahawks on the call there, which I thought was fantastic because, again, uh, last year. I wish year- he would have answered the Rams. Can't talk, got to go by, and then taking John Schneider's call. <laughs> he is Jake Heaps. I am Paul Gallant. Stacey Ross to my left. It's, this is your coverage of the 2021 NFL Draft. The Seattle Seahawks, it appears, are done, but they might trade back in. For complete coverage of the draft, you'll eventually hear from Pete Carroll, from John Schneider, I imagine, as well. Stay tuned right here to your home of the Seattle Seahawks, 710 ESPN Seattle.